You're here. Good job. All right, well, we need to get started this morning. There are a lot of people out today, as you can see, so need you all to be uh, vibrant this morning, ready to participate, all that kind of stuff. Good. There is coffee in the lobby, but if that'll help, so... Yeah, I uh, gave you three pages for today, pages 37 through 39, and this really should be two lessons. It should be a new lesson starting on page 38, but what can you do? Here we are, and uh, we'll be talking about these things for the next three weeks, I imagine, pages 37, 38, and 39. I hope today that uh, we could get through page 37, um, but if not, that's fine. That's all right. So do we have a... Uh What's going on in here? Do we have a teacher in here? We have, oh, we do. I'm going to close this door. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> so page 37 here, we begin talking about heaven and hell. But uh, before we get into the meat of the lesson, how about I go ahead and open us in a word of prayer. And the birthday boy has arrived. Feliz cumpleaños. He is... 31. And he's going to sit on the front row on his birthday. What a guy. Okay, well, very good. How about I pray and then we'll uh, get started. Father, we thank you so much for this day that you've made and this opportunity we have to come together and study your word. Help us to have a good time of study today that what we learned today would uh, instruct us not only just informatively, but it would instruct us how we are to live. Help us to be drawn nearer to you today because of the time we spend in your word. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is a bit of a scary conversation. Maybe instead of uh, scary, a better word would be heavy. Okay, Because for, not for all of you will it be scary. For some of you it probably will be. Uh, but um, it should be heavy for all of us, Okay, regardless of if it's scary or not. We're going to be talking about heaven and hell, and then we're going to get into predestination, God's election of certain individuals to salvation. And again, we won't get there today uh, unless you guys are extremely quiet and I just fly through the material, but I don't want to do that. I want today for us to focus on page 37 and see how far we can get there, okay? Speaking of heaven and hell. So be prepared to learn with, you know, to the best of your ability a fresh perspective. All of you come into this lesson, uh, as you do with most lessons, with preconceived notions about heaven and hell. We always want to think biblically. So sometimes the Bible is going to rub up against things that you've thought before and say, no, that's not right. And you got to change. You got to change your thinking. Are you willing to do that this morning if that's the case? Hey, two of us are. That's good. All right, so heaven, hell, and predestination. Let's talk about heaven. Heaven, the very full presence of God, is the destination for all who have trusted in Christ alone for their salvation. I have that there at the top of your sheet for you. It's the destination for all who have trusted in Christ alone. I forgot the period, though, so you can fill in the period if you'd like. <laughs> there you go. Uh, there is only one heaven, 
there are not three levels of heaven. The Bible does not teach levels of heaven. Okay, this is really important to know in our context. If I was teaching this lesson in West Virginia, I would not include this part of the slide because they wouldn't even be thinking that. But if you're a Utahan or if you've been influenced by your neighbors since living in Utah, of course, there's a big thinking here that there are three levels of heaven. There's the celestial, terrestrial, and celestial levels. The Bible doesn't teach that, okay? And so uh, it's not in the Bible anywhere. And we're not, we're not teaching different levels of heaven. However, the Bible does refer to a first heaven, second heaven, and a third heaven. And I want to uh, break that down for you. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 11 together. The fifth book of the Bible found in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 11.11. And how amazing, <laughs> on this very like random, seemingly random point in Scripture, first, second, and third heavens, that not only will we be talking about this in Sunday school today, but it's going to come up in the sermon too. How bizarre that it just ended up being the same Sunday. Because we're looking at a passage today where Paul says he was taken to the third heaven. You guys remember that passage in 2 Corinthians 12? So that's what we're looking at today in the next service. But here, let's uh, see in Deuteronomy 11, 11, the first heaven, as the Bible presents it, it says, But the land into which you are about to cross to possess it, a land of hills and valleys, drinks water from the rain of heaven. So how is heaven being used in that verse? Someone tell me, how's heaven being used there? Okay, but the, the, where's the rain? Which heaven is the rain coming from? Yeah. Yeah, well, it's the, it's the atmosphere. Where does rain come from? Yeah, clouds, right? Yeah, clouds, okay. Oh, yeah, hey, I do already have the answer up there, thanks. Yeah, the clouds, the abode of the clouds. The atmosphere is where we uh, get rain from. And so many times when you're reading the Bible, it'll talk about the heavens as the place where clouds are, okay? So that's like, if you want to say first, second, third heaven, that's the first heaven, is the one that's right above us where the clouds are. Let's go to Genesis 15.5. This time, Cheryl, I won't give you the answer first. Genesis 15.5, <laughs> and let's look and see how heavens is used there. <clears throat> Genesis 15, verse 5, God speaking to Abram reaffirming his promises to him. He takes Abram outside, it says at the beginning of verse 5, and says to him, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. So how are we speaking of heavens there? Yeah, beyond, yeah, beyond the clouds, right? Because stars aren't in the clouds, right? Are stars where rain comes from? No, they're beyond that, okay? And so it's where the celestial bodies are. You go out and you look, there's the sun, there's the moon, there are the stars. That's another way that the Bible speaks of the heavens, okay? And then you have, uh, of course, what I already told you, that the heaven is God's abode. And you can see that in many places. Each, each, of, each of these uses you can see in many places. But Psalm 33 is a place where you could go to see this, Psalm 33, 13, and 14, where it just says very explicitly, God exists in heaven. 
God's presence is heaven. Psalm 33, verses 13 and 14. Would someone like to read that for us, those two verses? Dan, go ahead. All right. So the Lord is looking from heaven. Verse 14, his dwelling place, okay? Uh, God's abode is what could be called the third heaven. And like I said, we're going to be covering this passage today in the message, 2 Corinthians 12, 2. Paul says that he was taken in a vision to the third heaven. And so what did he mean by third heaven? Well, it appears as though he's speaking of God's abode, the, the heaven that's above the other heavens. But all through Scripture, you'll see heaven used in these ways. God is not where the clouds are. God is not where the stars are. His abode is beyond all of that, okay? His abode is something different, yet heaven is used to describe the place where the clouds are, the place where the celestial bodies are, and the place where God is. So, uh, let me ask you this, as we're considering the way the Bible talks about heaven and these different levels in this sense, does this mean that when... We die as Christians, and our souls depart to be with God in heaven. Does that mean we will live beyond the stars? Is it kind of is it the Bible setting us up to think, okay, low, lowest level clouds, we, we saw that, okay, above the clouds is the place of the stars, and then when you die... See how we're going up above clouds, beyond the clouds, stars, beyond that. God lives somewhere up above and beyond the stars, and that's where we'll be. Have you ever thought about where heaven is? What do you, what do you think of that? Virginia. Okay, so obviously God is omnipresent. It says in Jeremiah 23, he fills heaven and earth. That covers everything, doesn't it? But you are not omnipresent, and you won't be after you die. So where are you going to be? You're going to go, the first one, you're, you're going to be a rainmaker? <laughs> mm -hmm. And then where, we go, where do we go from there? We don't stay there, but he takes us to the Father's house where there are many mansions or dwelling places is a better translation. So where's this Father's house? Okay, could be. Yes. Correct. And there is a difference, too, between being in God's presence generally and being in God's presence when you're absent from a sinful body or whenever you have a glorified, resurrected body and sin is... Is away because, like, right now we're in the presence of God right now, but this isn't heaven, is it? Okay, so there is a distinction there too that we got to try to articulate as we think through this. Other thoughts on on this about the location of heaven? Yeah, he has a throne. Mm -hmm. Good. Well, yes, because you're a creature and you're limited by space. No. No, no, no. He's not limited by space. But where will you be 
after you die, before the new heavens and new earth, we'll get to that later. When you die, where are you going to be? Stan and then Brandon. Yeah. Yes. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. Okay, well, yes, okay, good. Well, I just want to make sure you knew that. <clears throat> yeah. Well, yes. No. No. So in John 14, let's go there. John chapter 14. Let's look at this real quick. John 14, the first three verses. Look at the language that Jesus uses as he describes what's going to happen leading up to our presence in the Father's house. 14, 1 through 3. Would someone read those first three verses for us of John 14? Go ahead, James. Thank you. So what's Jesus doing in verse 3? Two, two things. Oh, sorry, three things. <laughs> okay, yes. So he goes to prepare a place. Okay, coming again. Again. And then, sorry, what's the third thing? So preparing, good, receiving. There's a receiving that happens. So he prepared a place for us, the Father's house. He's coming again from the Father's house to receive us to Himself. Now, this is what I believe is being caught up together with Him in the clouds. Okay, Receiving in the clouds. And from there, we go to the Father's house, that where He is, we will be also. So, that's what's going on in John 14. I think you have the catching up in the clouds there in that word receiving. Otherwise, I don't know what that word receiving would mean because he's receiving us, we're going to him, and we go to the Father's house from there. So uh, there are all kinds of things to say about how all that works with timeline, and we'll get to that eventually in this class, but that's an initial response to your question there. But what, what else you got on, on that? Okay, that's good. Brandon. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's the idea, is it here, right here, but a different dimension or something like that, where there's a supernatural thing going on? Um, that is, of course, um, something that the LDS Church teaches, the spirit world, spirit prison, and spirit paradise. And I don't believe the Bible teaches that. And let me show you why. I had these verses written down so I could throw them at you. Let's go to Revelation together. Verse 3, or uh, chapter 3, Revelation 3, verse 12. Now, this is interesting. So I, at the end of the day, let me go ahead and show my hand. At the end of the day, I don't believe we're going to be able to answer with absolute certainty the location of heaven. 
as far as where your spirit goes when you die. I don't think the Bible gives us absolute certainty on that. Okay? However, there's some interesting things going on here. In uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 12, let's start with that one. Would someone read that, please? 3.12 of Revelation. Brandon, go ahead. All right, so a lot to see there, a lot of questions to be asked there, but where's the new Jerusalem coming from? It's coming from heaven, and it comes down out of heaven. Okay, let's keep going in Revelation chapter 10. Turn forward to chapter 10 of Revelation. I want to show you four total verses, and then we'll stop and kick around some questions again. Revelation 10.1. Katrina, you want to read that one for us, just the first verse? Okay, uh, what an amazing description of an angel. Face like the sun, feet like pillars of fire, uh, rainbow upon his head, and that's amazing. So again, lots of things to see, but he's coming from heaven and he's coming down out of heaven. Okay, a couple chapters over, chapter 12, Revelation 12, verse 9. Revelation 12, 9. This is where you see the defeat of Satan. Satan, who was an angel. Revelation 12, 9, it says, The great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. So here's even more explicit, down to the earth. So from a heavenly abode, down to the earth. And then finally, the last one is Revelation 18.1. There were more I could have included here. But Revelation 18, chapter 1, you get the same idea as the verse that Katrina just read from chapter 10. John says, after these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illumined with his glory. So down from heaven, you see that consistently in the Bible, that there's this relationship of heaven above earth below, and not just like higher because it's purer, but you also have the spatial element where the devil was thrown down to earth. That's like just a spatial thing, or that the new Jerusalem descends down from heaven to earth. Spatial thing. Pretty interesting. Don't run too far with that ball, but that's what we got. Stan. No, I'm saying that the Bible uses the, heaven, the word heaven three different ways. And so there's the third, and this one is specifically called the third heaven. The third heaven exists now. Yeah, so whenever we, when Christians get judged, that's called the judgment seat of Christ, the, the Bema seat judgment. And that happens, I believe, when we go to the Father's house. At the John 14 
three of them. Mm-hmm. Okay, I didn't really fully understand the question, but I think if you, if you hang on through this, you'll see. You'll see the scriptures connected, okay? Because we're going to talk about all that. Everything that I think what you were just asking, we're going to talk about that. I mean, the Revelation 21, the second to last chapter in the whole Bible, says that heaven's going to pass away. So yes, there will be a change. We're, we're not going to be in the Father's house forever. There will be a change. We will be. And it comes down from heaven, yes. And it's going to be an, and it's going to be an, yes. Well, well, you say judgment day, and there are, there are multiple judgments in Scripture. So there's the judgment that we will endure as Christians, and then there's the great white throne judgment, where everybody who shows up there gets thrown into the lake of fire. So you don't want to be at that one. That's, that's usually what people think of when they think of judgment day. We're going to go through the judgment that's for the church, where we stand before the Lord Jesus, and that's the judgment seat of Christ. That's not how the Bible describes that. There is a book that's opened. That's at the great white throne. And everyone there, he says, I do not know you. And they're thrown in the lake of fire. Well, yeah, that's uh, if your name is not found in the book of life, you're cast into the lake of fire. So you do want your name in the book. Yes, the book of life. Yep. And then there's, a, there's even more judgments than that stand. There's the sheep and the goat judgment that takes place on the earth. And we'll talk about all that in due time. Okay? Rocking your world. Sarah. No. So where they get it is actually in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul's talking about the resurrection. And he's talking about the reality that Christians will be raised as Christ was raised. And, well, that all people will be raised, but he's speaking specifically to Christians. And he says, because there are people in Corinth saying there was no resurrection. And he's saying, look, there are different uh, bodies that exist out there because people are asking, okay, if there's a resurrection, what kind of body are we going to have? And he says, look, there's the body of animals, the bodies of humans, and the bodies of fish. We know that there are different types of bodies out there. You look at the heavens and you see there's the sun, moon, and stars. Those are different levels of glory as we see it in heaven. There will, there will be a resurrection from the dead, and we will have a different body than the one we have now. And he uses like four different examples to just to say there are different types of bodies. So there will be this unglorified body we have now, and after the resurrection we'll have a glorified body, two different types of bodies. Well, the, <clears throat> the LDS religion takes the example he used of looking at the stars the sun, moon, and stars, and they say, well, that means we will be resurrected to three different types of glory depending on our works, and those three different types of glory correspond to three different types of heaven. So it really goes beyond anything Paul ever imagined uh, that illustration to mean. So, Stan. No. No. They stay on the earth and endure God's wrath, the tribulation. That... So, oh, you're talking about the ones who are dead when, at this event? Yeah. Our soul goes to be with the Lord immediately. Yes, this, what Jesus is talking about here, is when he comes down, we are resurrected, Christians, and we meet him in the air. 
Okay. Yes. But, but when you die right now, immediately your soul goes to the presence of God. And there are two passages we're going to look at, I'm thinking next week now, that will, that will describe that, okay? No, you're fine. This is good. I, we do, never want to move on with people having questions. Any other questions at this juncture? Go ahead. No, it's fine. No, you do. Yes, your soul does. Right, no. Yeah, because what's in the clouds? We can take a plane up there. There aren't people up there, right? Okay, so, um, so when it says heaven here, it's the same thing as uh, when we say the heavens declare the glory of God. That comes from Scripture. We're talking about creation. The, the creation that's up above us declares the glory of God. Heaven does not always mean the place you go when you die. When the Bible's talking about the clouds, it's not talking about the place you go when you die. When it's talking about the stars, it does not mean the place you go when you die. When it talks about God's abode, for those who believe in Jesus, it does mean the place where you go when you die. Okay? So it's a good question. When, when you die, you're immediately with God. And wherever God is, that is the fullness of heaven. Okay? All right. Let's keep moving. Uh, more about heaven. <clears throat> those who die in their sins will never be found in God's presence. Now, this is important. Um, those who die in their sins will not be experiencing the presence of God when they die. We'll get there. Okay. Okay. We will get there. And I think we'll even get there today, Stan. I think even today we'll get there. All right. <clears throat> now, again, th you got to think theologically here when we talk about this, because as James pointed out earlier, um, you know, wherever God, the fullness of God's presence is, is heaven. However, we do have to keep in mind that God is everywhere all the time, as Virginia said, right? I mean, where can you escape the presence of God? Nowhere. But there's obviously a difference between being in a fallen body, having sin on your account, you know, living this life here on earth, and you are in the presence of God, yes, technically. There's a difference between that and being in the presence of God after you die, apart from the fallen body, or even after you're resurrected and you're in a glorified body and the, the sin is completely removed and you're in the presence of God. And there's a, there's a wholeness, a completeness of your relationship with God forever and ever from that point forward. Those are two different experiences of God's presence. So even though, um, yes, no matter where you go, you are experiencing the presence of God, there's a distinction between that and your ultimate destination. We recognize life will be better than this, right? And that our relationship with God will be realer than it is now, be more tangible than it is now. Okay? That, that will be heaven. Evelyn. Are you talking about the levels of heaven thing, or what do you... Okay. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes, you are... Yes, you're exactly right. I have said before that the origin of so much false teaching is man trying to tie up the loose ends that God has given us. God gives us loose ends. 
in Scripture, in your life. How many times have you asked God in your heart why for fill in the blank? And how often has he just left you with no answer? It's not for you to know the fullness of the plans of God. God is God and you are not. And so we get these loose ends in Scripture as we see it and we think, well, we got to figure this out. No, you got to just look at the clues and then just stop where Scripture stops. That's why 1 Corinthians 4, it says, do not exceed what is written. When you start exceeding what is written, you get in danger, okay? So as we think about, again, the presence of God, there are different experiences with the presence of God. Our heaven will be the fullness of the presence of God. Those who die in their sins, will they still be in God's presence? Yes, in one sense, yes, because God is present everywhere. God's even present in hell, and we'll talk about that, okay? The wrath that's being poured out in hell is not the devil's wrath. That's God's wrath, okay? Why would the devil pour out his wrath on people who die in their sins? He's doing, they're doing exactly what he wanted them to do. The wrath that's being poured out in hell is God's wrath. God is present even in hell. But they don't have the heavenly presence of God. They don't have the fullness of the relationship. They don't have the the presence experience that we will have in heaven as Christians. This understanding is essential to Christianity, and it has real implications. There exists an eternal destiny of the righteous and an eternal destiny of the unrighteous. So let's just do this really quick review in answering this question. How are you considered righteous? How are you considered righteous enough to go to heaven? Okay, good. What have you been given? Grace, which does what for you? Good. So it's not that you were perfect. It's that you're forgiven. Hold on, hold on, real real quick. We'll come back to the question. What, What else? We just talked about this the last two weeks. What have you been given? So you've been forgiven of your sins. Those have been wiped away. Now, what have you been given? Grace. And and through that grace, we get the righteousness of Christ. So what do you have that gets you into heaven? The righteousness of Jesus Christ. Not your own works, not your own effort, not your own perfections. you got none of that that gets you into heaven. But you've got Jesus. Through Jesus, you are righteous. Okay, Virginia. Yes. Yes. No. No. You, if you are a believer in Jesus, you are no longer considered in your sin. You, it's all forgiven, just like you just said. It's forgiven. And that forgiveness is a big deal. It's not just a God saying, oh, it's okay, but then he's still bitter toward you. No. This is God, because God's not like us. That's what we do. We say, oh, it's okay, and then we still hold grudges. That's not what God does. God says, Virginia, you are my daughter, and nothing will ever change this relationship. So you aren't in your sins. He's no longer, you're no longer facing him as judge like you were before. You're facing him as your father, and you're going to dad's house. It's good stuff. Yeah. Hey, keep, let's keep moving. Let's keep moving. All right, we got to go to Luke 16, okay, because as we're thinking about heaven and hell, Luke 16 is really the hinge here on what used to happen when people would die, what happens now when people die. You really got to understand Luke 16. It's a fascinating passage that gives us an amazing insight into the underworld, the afterlife. Starting in verse 19, it's the story of the rich man and Lazarus. 
This is not a parable. Okay, this, these are real people. Jesus uses a real name, Lazarus. He quotes Abraham. Abraham is existing and talking. This isn't just like a made-up story. This is a real thing that happened, that Jesus is giving us great insight to what happened after death, especially what happened after death at that time before Jesus died and rose again and ascended into heaven. So, you are about to get just a bunch of crazy stuff just dropped on you here. If, if you thought what was said in the first half of this class was crazy, it gets crazier. So let's look at this story. Someone please read this for us. It's a bit longer. 19 to 31 of Luke 16. Who can read that for us? Stan? Are you ready? Did you bring your seatbelt? Okay, go ahead. 19 to 31. Okay. Woo! All right. Well, let's uh, start breaking this down a little bit. You've got Abraham's bosom and Hades with a great chasm that separates the two. Okay? This is the best we can do to visualize it. Well, maybe not the best. The best I can do to visualize it. Okay? Chasm. And across the chasm, they can see and see each other speak to each other. That's pretty fascinating. Okay? So, real basic, who went where? Okay, so you've got the rich man down here, and you've got Lazarus. Again, we have an actual name, Lazarus, here, right? 
according to what Jesus said down at the end of the passage, what made the difference or what makes the difference between going to Hades and going to Abraham's bosom? Yeah, so that's right. Because the way Jesus framed it was like, you all have Moses and the prophets, but not all hear or listen or believe. Okay, So the distinction here between the two is belief in the Word of God. Belief in the Word. Jesus puts the emphasis on the Word of God. Okay? Correct. Correct. Yes, yes, you are at one thousand percent correct. Okay, so let's keep let's keep defining terms here. Okay, Hades is what we typically refer to as hell. Okay, so I've got some space there for you to jot some stuff down. Um, we we so often say hell instead of Hades today, but Hades and hell basically synonymous. All right, that's we use those words interchangeably. It is the place of fiery judgment for the unrighteous. Hades is the place of fiery judgment for the unrighteous. And you do well to notice here too that this is conscious torment. So you've got fire. You have judgment, you have consciousness. I mean, it's amazing that the uh, rich man even has memory. He, it's not like his memory got wiped. He knows he's got five brothers. They need to hear this. He, he remembered that they hadn't believed. Yes, yes, he need, wants the water dipped on his tongue. Yeah, Brandon. Yeah, there is. Yes. And, and that's part of the torment too, isn't it? Because now it's too late. There's nothing he can do. Now he knows these realities and he can't bring them back. It's too late. There's conscious torment. So we can add that to the list. Conscious, consciousness and torment. Okay? Well, then you have juxtaposed to Hades in this story that Jesus is telling, Abraham's bosom. And it's like, what on earth is this? Why doesn't it say heaven? I mean, if Hades and hell, I mean, this is, you know, hell is, we, we know it described in the Bible. Why doesn't it say heaven? Why does it say Abraham's bosom? So, let me see. Well, we'll pause right there. Anybody got any thoughts before I give you answers about what Abraham's bosom is? Hmm. At this point, you think so? Okay, all right. That's one option. Is there another option that someone would like to articulate? I would say so, yeah. Where did people go? Where did the righteous go 
when they died before Jesus died and rose again? Did they go to heaven? And if they did, then why did Jesus have to come die and rise again? Okay. Yes, the saints, the saints of the Old Testament. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's, let's consider. <clears throat> the Bible talks about a place called Sheol. And in the Old Testament, it describes all people going to Sheol, both good and evil. And it was apparently comprised of two compartments, as we learn here in uh, Luke 16, Laz- or, uh, Abraham's bosom and Hades. And so, I mean, I'll work through this with you here. Uh, I believe that this is Sheol that we're getting insight to here in Luke 16. You've got Hades, you've got Abraham's bosom, and you've got a chasm between the two. And it's Sheol. Not heaven, but Sheol. Okay? Um, Let's see. It simply means grave, the word does, Hebrew word. And it was understood by Israel to be the abode of the spirits of the dead. So I'm not defining Abraham's bosom for you quite yet. We're kind of skipping that. We'll come back. Sheol is the place containing these other two places. It's the grave. It's the resting place of the dead. And you see, again, good and evil people going there. Um, Give you some examples. We can use, we could look at more examples, but one for each or maybe two for each. Genesis 37, you see Jacob speaking of Sheol as a place where the righteous go. Genesis chapter 37, starting in verse 29. So turn with me there, Genesis 37. You'll see that there was no hope of heaven in Jacob's mind, but there was this thought of Sheol going to the grave. Genesis 37, 29 to 36. Who would read that for us? Brandon, go ahead. Midianites. Mm hmm. All right, so famous incident here with Joseph. His brothers throw him into a pit and they think they killed him. Jacob, Joseph's father, obviously thinks that Joseph is dead. And his response is he is going to go down to Sheol in mourning for his son. Did Joseph 
or uh, Jacob rather, did he have any reason to believe that God was going to condemn him for all eternity in Hades? No. He had the promises that were made to his grandfather, Abraham, reaffirmed to his father, Isaac, reaffirmed to him. He knew the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob knew this. He understood this. And he had this idea that he was going to be going to Sheol. That was going to be his destination. Down to Sheol. So again, thinking of spatial language, (laughs) up and down, he's going down to Sheol, down to the grave. We think of heaven as going up to heaven, as we've already looked at in this lesson, but he was going down to Sheol. So here's an example of someone who is not evil, but rather righteous. His destination is Sheol. Yet, we also see in the Bible that this was a place where evil people went. In Job 24, verse 19, and I'll pause for questions here in a moment. Job 24, 19, it says, Drought and heat consume the snow waters, So does Sheol, those who have sinned. So Sheol is a place that consumes sinners, according to Job's declaration there. In Psalm 9, verse 17, it says, The wicked will return to Sheol, even all the nations who forget God. People who reject God go to Sheol. Jacob also goes to Sheol. And again, you can use multiple illustrations of both of these. And so, everyone was going to Sheol, but it doesn't seem like everybody was going to Hades. Obviously, not everybody was going to Hades. Lazarus went down to Sheol, but didn't go to Hades. He went to Abraham's bosom. And in Abraham's bosom, he was comforted. So, if Hades is a place of judgment, of fiery judgment for the unrighteous, Abraham's bosom, we could say, is a place of comfort for the righteous. It's a place of consciousness, just like Hades. But instead of there being torment, there's comfort. And you could even say, besides comfort and consciousness, there's fellowship. This guy, Lazarus, who was born a couple thousand years after Abraham, he goes to this place and he's hanging out with Abraham. That's pretty cool. And Abraham is there talking to him, comforting him, and it's a place of comfort. Is it heaven? No. But is it a place of comfort? Yes. Thoughts or questions so far? Brandon. Well, yeah, but even the heaven now is temporary. Yeah, because that, that, this heaven will pass away, Revelation says. But so, yes. So what you have in Scripture then is this events in God's program building upon one another up until the culmination. So, e- so even heaven itself is e- like evolving almost. There are these different stages that it goes through. And this is a stage before our current stage. Mandy. So, yes, that's the next passage that you have here is Ephesians 4. Let's all turn to Ephesians 4, and this is probably where we'll end today. Ephesians 4, I believe, references that very event, Mandy, that at the resurrection and ascension of Christ, you have this going on, all right? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. And uh, it's specifically here mentioning the ascension. 
And the ascension was how many days after the resurrection? 40. Yeah. So they didn't happen the same day, resurrection and ascension. But uh, yeah, let's check this out. Ephesians chapter 4, 7 through 10. Would someone read that for us? Evelyn, thank you. Wow. All right. So all this stuff we've been talking about this morning, it's just like this is an amazing event in all of God's program. I mean, even if you look at just that last verse, verse 10, he ascended far above all the heavens. I think uh, it's a race now, but meaning above, above the clouds, above the stars, he ascended far beyond these things. When Jesus went up in his ascension, you remember this, the uh, disciples were standing there in Acts chapter 1 just like slack-jawed looking, and the angel shows up and says, what are you doing? <laughs> and they were like, you know, he's gone. And he says, the angel says, he's going to return just as he left. Now, go do what he told you to do. But he didn't go up to the clouds, and he's not hanging out in the clouds. You don't have Jerry Bowman flying his airplane saying, hey, Jesus, you know, and then landing his airplane. You don't have, uh, you know, Neil Armstrong walking on the moon and Jesus was hanging out on a part of the moon. He's far above all the heavens. He's in the Father's house. And when he did this, this is verse 8, quoting Psalm 68, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives. Who are the captives that Jesus led in his ascension? Well, uh, it seems to me that's referring to those who were in Abraham's bosom, those who were in Sheol awaiting their Messiah, he has come and he has now taken them, uh, their souls, not their physical bodies. He's taken their souls to where he is, to heaven, to the presence of God. Okay. Yes, in verse, uh, verse 9, he descended into the lower parts of the earth. Quite likely that's referring to Sheol, because that word means the grave. Now, if you don't have questions after that, you're just not thinking. All right, come on. What, what do you, <laughs> give me something. Yeah, we'll get there next week. Not there yet. Okay, we're stopping right before that sentence today. But good question, yeah. April. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't... Yeah, we don't know what exactly what that looked like, right? Um, we don't know. Uh, you said sat there. They were there. Yes. I hope it was better than like the eye doctor's waiting room. Yeah. <laughs> but we just don't know. Okay. Yes. Yes. And then he led captive his host of captives, ascending on high, far beyond all the heavens. Yep. Oh. Certainly was a lot of people, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> wow, we're, we're digging up old memories for you, huh? Mm. 
No, there's no evidence that that place has changed right now. Now, it will change, and we'll look at this next week too, where it says not only does the first heaven pass away and it's replaced with a new heaven and a new earth, it says that Hades is thrown into the lake of fire. And all the dead who are in Hades is thrown into the lake of fire. So even Hades isn't the final destination for the unrighteous. There will be the lake of fire, which burns with fire forever and ever, Revelation says. That won't show up until after that. It'll be after the great, 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 great white throne judgment. So it'll be after the tribulation, after the millennium, after that. Yes. Evelyn? <laughs> yeah, so when, um, let's see, when we say that Jesus led captive, a host of captives, affirming what Scripture said, he took those who were in Abraham's bosom here, up, okay? That's Ephesians 4, appears to me. These people untouched. Not chilling. Opposite of chilling. Yeah. They're there. Yes, yeah, they're there. Um, and so there is this, there's this place of Hades that's existed since before the death of Christ, still exists today. We have no reason to believe that's changed but it will change later when it's thrown into the lake of fire. Correct. No evidence of that. Yep. Stand. That the lake of fire is eternal. So that's really like the only difference. I mean, both are a place of fire, obviously. Okay. We have the description of Hades Jesus gives us there in Luke 16, fire. Lake of fire is called lake of fire, right? But correct. Yeah. And, uh, and let, the lake of fire is called the second death. Now, some people will say, these people are called annihilationists when it comes to theology. They say that when Hades is thrown into the lake of fire, that's where all those people cease to be. So they're annihilated, no more consciousness anymore. Their souls are eliminated. Yes. Yes. Yes, forever and ever. They're wrong, yes. God, yes. It, no, no. I mean, so um, Satan is pr the god of the, the earth. He's prowling the earth. Um, he's been thrown down to the earth, Revelation 12 says. And so uh, Hades is a place where God's wrath toward sin, which is good, holy, just wrath. If, if God didn't have wrath toward sin, would he be a good god? No, okay. So he does have wrath towards sin, and it's his wrath in Hades. Yep. He will reign. He will be king in Jerusalem. Yep. Other thoughts, questions? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely an in-between thing. Yeah, I mean, if, if you were, say, Lazarus, dying and going to Abraham's bosom, there would certainly be a sense of this isn't it. Now, it was a place of comfort, so, and that's important. We shouldn't gloss over that. He, he did receive comfort there, and uh, all Old Testament saints who went there received comfort. 
but they were not in the presence of God. For us to be in the presence of God, we needed the death and resurrection of Jesus. That is what made us clean. That is what imparted to us his righteousness so that we were qualified to be in the presence of God. April. Correct. And again, we'll look at that next week with 2 Corinthians 5 and Philippians 1. So, yeah. Good. Yeah. So, yeah. um, No, I don't believe that's taking place on the face of the earth. I don't think we have any reason to believe that. Yeah, I think if there's any, anybody experiences a ghost or a spirit, I think what they're actually experiencing is an angelic spirit, a demon. I think they're having interaction with the demonic realm. And, and these people don't become demons. And these people don't become angels. Angels and demons are separate from human beings, okay? Yeah, last question, Sebastian. Yes, yes, yes. Christ's death was necessary to go to heaven because he's the one who led them into heaven, right? If, if they didn't have him and they showed up, what, what righteousness did they have imputed to them apart from the death and resurrection of Christ? They didn't have it, okay? All right. Yes. Yes. Yes, and there was still, you know, there was still salvation for these people. Sorry, the last thing I want to say. There was still salvation for these people. Um, Abraham believed, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. But did he have the righteousness of Christ that comes through his death and resurrection? Not yet. That Jesus had to do that. I mean, it says at the end of uh, Romans chapter 4, he was raised for our justification. That, that was necessary for us to go into the presence of God. Yeah. Yes, that Jesus' death and resurrection was applied to those who were waiting for him. Yes. Okay. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for all these things you've given us in your word, so many amazing details. Lord, we need your help to understand, to interpret. We need your Spirit's guidance in these things. And Lord, we also need your power to apply these things to our lives. Help us to do that. Help us to honor you by the way that we, we think through what we see in the world today, that we would have an eternal mindset, and that we would worship you in all that we do. Give us a great time together as we continue to worship in the next service. In Jesus' name, amen.